Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is longtime friend and really, in my opinion, the most influential performance coach in golf as it pertains to how you access your talent that you already have and learn how to bring it to the table under practice, play, and tournament golf. And we just had an opportunity to have Stephen Yellen work with the number three ranked high school boys golf team and the number 24 ranked girls golf team in the country. It totally blew everybody's mind. Now I'm here to blow your mind with the information <laughs> from the man himself, Stephen Yellen. Stephen, how are you today, buddy? Well, uh, we don't want to blow their minds and they won't be able to listen. <laughs> I'm great, Virgil. What a special day. It was a beautiful day. Um, so really one of the things I wanted to kind of preface this, your, your, your book has just come out, the third book, Simplicity. Correct. And obviously getting rave reviews. I, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of your work, but the book is like a, a lifelong, like, <laughs> like your, your 40 years of experience compiled into, a, into your book. Talk to us about Simplicity. And this lifelong journey that you've now put out for everybody to digest. Well, it is my, if I can use this phrase, my piece de resistance, the denouement uh, of, of really my investigation for 45 years on how fluid motion is produced. I, um, you know, I had this zone experience in 1975 on the tennis court. I just went to a level that, and a space I never really. Uh, went to before was not familiar with and that one hour changed my life that one hour allowed me to actually sit in the seat and speak with you so I was um, consumed in a balanced way trying to understand how fluid motion is produced for every sport and uh, it's such a subtle it's such a subtle investigation I don't have to tell you Virgil Mm -hmm. 
because if if uh, the zone was not subtle, once someone accesses it once, they'd be able to access it a hundred times on demand. But you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I had to first understand the subtle nuances of the zone itself, and then come up with some very soft, gentle, effortless techniques that could set up that condition by design. Because most players, when they get into the zone, it's just by chance. They have no idea how they got there. Mm -hmm. And when you do get there, you don't care how you got there. There's only one thing on your mind. Mm -hmm. How long is this thing going to last? Yeah, that's right. And then the second thing on your mind, maybe in the back of your mind, is, okay, when it goes, what do I have to do to get it back? And that's the plight that, that all athletes, you know, uh, are faced with. So I think I've come up with a simple, very easy to learn, effective program to at least give someone the best chance that they have to have a zone experience or at least to be more consistent in their game. Yeah, 100%. You know, we're both fairly large fans of a guy named Stephen Kotler. Oh, yeah. Who's uh, (laughs) who's written a bunch of excellent stuff, and he's involved in the Flow Genome Project. He just left the Flow Genome Project to do his own Uh uh, flow space, Uh so to speak. Uh And uh, he talks about one of the things that makes golf challenging to reach the higher levels of mental performance is because there are only like two of 17 triggers that can throw people into the state. And that's atmosphere and the event itself. Whereas basketball, football, surfing, there's a level of danger that the, that trips the arousal levels into it more naturally than golf does. And so the challenge, it's so much easier for these players to be in the zone while playing basketball, football, or, you know, the surfers or the mountain bikers, the, the extreme sports people. Extreme sports, yeah. They really lock in, but it's more out of life or death uh, circumstances, like certainly the surfers and the, the extreme mountain biking. But golf doesn't have the, the – the ball's not moving. We're not trying to evade people. We have to create most of it ourselves prior to the strike. Hmm. I, you know, I never thought of it like that. Yes, and I, and I, and I love Stephen Coulter, uh, Rise of Superman. Um, and, you know, just thinking about it out loud here, or thinking about it to myself, zone experiences arise when there's two conditions. Uh, sports, by definition, is dynamism, has dynamic motion. Uh-huh. Every sport has dynamic motion, right? Yep. Now, golf, the dynamic motion is only 1.5 seconds. In tennis, you know, in one point, you can have as much dynamic motion as a golfer does in an entire round of golf if they're, you know, having a, a 20 or 30 exchange, you know, rally, long mm-hmm. rally. But the other thing that you need for a zone experience is the experience of silence. So what you need is you need the coexistence of opposites. The coexistence of opposites allows the mind to transcend, to go to deeper levels. And that's where, that's the only way you can have a zone experience is if the mind starts to experience deeper levels of its own nature. Now, what happens in extreme sports, essentially, if you don't have a zone experience, you could die. 
Yep. Now, what happens in golf, if you don't have his own experience, you just had a lousy day on the course. There's a big, big, huge difference. <laughs> epic difference. It's eh? a, 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 epic difference. So what what these – yeah, this is what happens, okay? What these zone – what these extreme athletes, because they're in a life or death situation and because intuitively, based on their previous experience in whatever they did, they know they have to have more silence. The, the event itself forces the mind to get quieter mm-hmm. and quieter because that's the, 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 because the channels that communicate from the mind to the body, if those channels are blocked in the least, and that person, I remember one of the stories in Stephen Coulter in, in, in Rise of Superman is that this, um, you know, they're climbing the side of a mountain and he's putting his hand, he's not thinking consciously where to put his hand and where to put his feet. It's almost happening on an unconscious level. And saying it's happening on an unconscious level is just saying, I'm experiencing deeper levels of silence in my brain physiology. Yeah. So the extreme sports athletes... They're forced to do that or they may not live another day. Mm. Now, a golfer is not forced to do that. A tennis player is not forced to do that. A basketball player is not forced to do that. But what the great athletes have is they all have, first of all, they all have great motions, right? But the greater athletes, the cream of the cream, what they do, what they have is they have access to deeper levels of silence under pressure that's the key so then what happens is that they set up this arena of the coexistence of opposites and as soon as you have that boom you go down and you start you know as i say playing unconsciously which you know i mean unconscious is if you're you're knocked out and you can't even talk or, you know. So it's just, it's really not the correct word to use. Sure. What it is is that they're experiencing deeper levels of the mind. Not surface levels, but deeper levels. Mm-hmm. And the great ones, I'm sure, I mean, there's a wonderful book. Actually, you should read this book. It's called The Transcendence in Sports. And it gives stories, and it's by Michael Murphy. From the Esalen Institute, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, so Golf he, in the Kingdom, Michael. Murphy? Yes, he he did a, a compilation of all these zone experiences that these different athletes had in different sports. You know, for instance, I remember one of the experiences that Billie Jean King had, and she said it was such a unique experience because there was all this dynamism going on. You know, there's tremendous dynamism. In a tennis match, when you're when you're you know you're in a point with someone, but there were times where I felt like I was in the eye of the hurricane, with all this dynamism going on, there was just this spot of silence, and when you live in that spot of silence, surrounded by the dynamism, essentially, which means you are experiencing the coexistence of opposites. That's when the magic takes place, not only on the level of your performance, but it it starts to be it starts to become a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. essentially. 
It's interesting because also there's like this level of arousal in the mind that needs to be perked up. And that they that then coincides with the recognition that you have to silence. So like it's hard for kids and players to get in the zone in a practice round. But it's not so hard to get in the zone in the third round of the Masters and you're playing with Rory. You feel like you, you're it's a big vent. You have one of the best players in the world playing with you. There's going to be a lot of people around, and it's more than normal, but not 20% more than your best. And the great performances occur slightly ahead of your normal, but not 20% past your potential. That's very interesting, and it's true. The environment structures that. Mm -hmm. The importance of the event or the importance of the shot or whatever. And, you know, the great ones in every sport, they love that. They thrive on that. Because intuitively, they know that they are pre-wired in such a way that when the stakes get higher, and as you were talking about, the they have the ability to go more silent. And it's like the greater the stakes, back nine at Augusta, the greater the stakes... Yeah, this is what Tiger loved. He loved to be, he just, I love to be in that environment. Where other guys, what happens is they get swallowed up. They get overshadowed. They don't have the pre-wiring and they don't have the channels available in the brain physiology to access deeper levels of silence. So the situation sort of grabs them, overshadows them. They lose their connection with their self. It has nothing to do with golf, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, in this book, Simplicity, I talk about that, and it's very interesting. And I'll, I'll tell you, could I tell you this, yeah, uh, this story? So um, there have been many um, iterations of the fluid motion factor over the years because it's so subtle. I would add a layer, I would add a layer. And it got to be, uh, I thought, pretty powerful about three years ago. But then I, I saw something I didn't quite understand. And I was working with really good players, either high-level amateur, college, or professional players, okay? They could, they, first of all, they were all sold out to the program. You know, they asked him now, is there any doubt in your mind what you have to do in order to play, um, you know, championship-level golf? No, there's no doubt, because it's not my program. It's, it's their program, right? But... They could do it on the range. They could access the fluid motion factor, which essentially is accessing a deeper level of silence in the mind. They could do it in a practice round. Not a problem. But then they had, they had challenges, challenges doing it when it really counted in a competitive round. And I was a little perplexed. They were sold out to the program. They could do the program, but in this environment... Of, uh, of, of competition they couldn't. And myself, being an athlete and still competing, I reflected on it, and I didn't have to reflect on it too long. And then I understood why. And it has to do with one word. Fear. Fear, what happens is that fear is like a block to silence. And the brain physiology 
needs to reach a threshold level of silence in order for the body to perform. The mind needs to reach a threshold level of silence in order for the body to perform at a high optimum level. Mm -hmm. And if there's a block there, something is blocking, literally, the mind from going to a deeper level, then the flow of intelligence between the mind and the body is curtailed. It's like a... It's the analogy I like to give is if you have a water hose and you pinch the hose and the water can't get through to the nozzle. There's like a, a block. Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking about it. Hmm, it's very interesting here. Yeah, I think I, I think I got something. And then I came up with five origins of fear. Because fear just doesn't show up because you're having a bad hair day. It shows mm-hmm. up because of a very specific reason, and it's usually buried deep down. And all of us have different levels, myself included. No one is free from that. And I think all athletes have fear to a certain extent, to a certain extent. Um, But if it reaches past a threshold level, then it's going to affect actually the performance of that motion. So the five reasons I came up with, or the five origins of fear is, Fear of failure, fear of success, not worthy, not comfortable in your own skin, and playing for somebody else. Mm -hmm. You're not playing for yourself. And um, I think think that it about covers it. Maybe something else, but I, I couldn't think of anything. And then I started to talk with players who had this block. And they trusted me because I was asking a a deeply personal question and there was an open wound there. And I would ask them, so let me see if I understand your situation, whoever I'm talking to. Let's say I'm talking to someone. You believe in the program? Yes. You you, you know you have to do the pro, you have to access fluid motion factor? Yes. You can do it on the range, no problem. You can do it in a practice round, no problem. But your challenge to do it in a competitive round. And then I ask the the million dollar question, where does the fear come from? Now everyone I asked this question to eventually told me where the fear comes from. They all knew. Mm -hmm. There was not one person who did not know because everyone knows themselves. This is a very dark area in someone. Mm -hmm. This is not, you don't want to be visiting this too much. Because it could be if there's fear there on the golf course, there could be fear in, in other parts of your life that are, that are preventing you from reaching your potential. And it's not like I, know, I knew the person all my life and you know we've had many, many conversations. We didn't. But they knew I was working on a deep level and they trusted me. So, I, you know, the, the, the women, the girls, the tears started to come down because... This is an open wound. Mm-hmm. And then the ability, and I talk about this, there's a whole chapter in the book about this, and some really good players. I mean, players that people know. I didn't mention any names to you know, protect the innocent, but there's very interesting stories that, and, and, and my belief, which I believe I'm correct, I, I would bet a lot of money on this, is that if a player doesn't break through that's talented, it has nothing to do with their golf skill, zero. It has to do with off-the-course issues based on fear. Limiting beliefs. 
could be anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. It doesn't matter. Limiting beliefs means, you know what? I'm not worthy of success. I, I, I can reach a certain level. I, fine, I'll go four under after nine, but don't ask me to go eight under after 18. Mm-hmm. I'm only so good. Yeah. So what they do when there is this fear is they sabotage themselves and they don't even know they're doing it. They do not know they're doing it. 100%. It's totally on this unconscious, silent level that, well, this is their challenge in life and they have to work it out. So um, I put the chapter in the book. I thought it was a very necessary chapter because there's so many talent golfers out there you know, and we're just watching, you know, the third round of, of the tournament, of the FedEx Cup tournament here, and um, they limit themselves, and they don't know, and then they work harder on their game because they think it's the game, and it has zero to do with their game. Zero. Not 5%, 10%. Zero. Of course, you see their swing breaks down, you know, when they get under pressure because of fear, so they think that if they keep working on their swing... It won't break down, but, you know, they're chasing uh, castles in the air on that one. Yeah. Expectations are very, that's a fascinating conversation because there are some people that talk about expectations as goals, and that's a positive thing, which I don't believe that's the case, but there are some people that believe that it's great to have high expectations of yourself and set goals that are challenging and then that in that there generally speaking always applies a pressure that makes it harder for them to overcome while trying to access fluid motion they become prisoners of the goals yeah they become a prisoner of it so um you know the way i look at it and again i'm not a professional athlete i don't have the talent in tennis, I certainly don't have the talent in golf to um, have made a living as a professional athlete. So I'm a I'm a armchair quarterback. But the way that I look at it is that we know, you know, from reading my books and from um, you know just hearing it today, there's something called the DNA goal, mm-hmm. which is the embedded goal in a sport. You never have to think about it now. Expectations are a DNA goal. No one starts the year, okay, on the PGA Tour and says, you know what, I I don't really want to make most of the cuts. Or, you know, I'd prefer not to win a tournament this year. Yeah. Or, um, I don't really want to win a major. Well, that's ridiculous, okay? So, goals are always DNA goals. Now, there's different strokes for different folks. Mm -hmm. Some people... Uh, and again, I haven't investigated. You probably know more about this than I do, okay? But some people, they need the goals to motivate themselves for whatever reason. Yep. Other people, if they set the goals, they become a prisoner of the goal and they it would have been better if they didn't set the goals and just take it as it comes. Yeah. Well, let's just see. You know, and and this is like, this is what happens like in the in the fourth round of a lot of tournaments where a guy goes into the tournament hitting the ball well has really high expectations feels he has his game in order and shoots 74 72 barely makes the cut 
shoots maybe a, a 71 on the third day. And by the fourth day, he goes out there, whatever. And here comes the 66. Okay, now, what was, what, what was his expectation going into the tournament? It was very high. What was his expectation on the fourth day? It was very low. What's the result of that? Usually the result is lower scores. Yeah. And I'll tell you a story. I worked with a player for many years. I'm still uh, in, occasionally in touch with her, Gabby Lopez. Okay, now Gabby, Gabby won twice on the LPGA Tour. Mm -hmm. She won the first tournament of the year this year, third version of the Tournament of Champions in Orlando, where you mm -hmm. had to win a tournament. But her first tournament win was in uh, China uh, two years ago. It was the last tournament of the year. And she told me the story. I said, Gabby, what happened? Why'd you play so well? Because I always like to know. I, you know, they're the players. I, you know, yeah. Maybe I'm certainly going to learn from them. She said, well, it was an interesting story. Uh, I didn't think I was going to go and play the tournament. For whatever reason, I, I can't remember w why she said that, whether she didn't get in or she made a last-minute decision to play, but she said, I, I didn't think I was going to play the tournament, play in the tournament. So I didn't prepare for it at all that week, but I got in. So when I teed it up on Thursday, I had zero expectations. I had no expectations. I'm not really, in her mind, okay, I'm not really prepared for this. I didn't go through my normal practice routine during the week. I don't feel I'm ready to tee it up on Thursday, but I'm here, so let's see what happens. And what happens is she won the tournament. And then another instance where she's playing down in Australia, I think it was the Australian Open, she shot a 63 or 64, her lowest round in competitive golf. And I called her up. I said, Gabby, why did you go so low? What, you know, what, was, what were you experiencing? I want to know what they're experiencing. And she said a word that, it's the first time I heard this word from a professional athlete at least from the professional athletes that I've worked with. And the word was, well, I felt innocent. And that really, and I have a whole section in the book about this, that really took me back because I had to think about it for a second. Because you don't usually associate stellar athletic performances with it and innocence. You actually associate it with the opposite, focus. Mm -hmm. The opposite of focus and, and, and concentration is innocence. But what happens is that from a neurophysiological perspective, if during that 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a golf swing, as you know, if the prefrontal cortex goes offline, the intellect goes offline, and you know the story of being on the couch where you're not too sure what you're going to get, right? That second ball syndrome. You're in the middle of the fairway, uh, practice round, perfect lie, perfect club, no win, perfect eight iron, you miss the green, you drop a ball in disgust, and you just stick it, you know, three feet. Were you innocent on the first shot if you had to define it? No. Were you innocent on the second shot? Yes. 
because you were living in the world of whatever. It really doesn't, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that world of whatever is a world of innocence. It's like this gal who just won the, the British Open, right? Do you think she really had high expectations to win the British Open? It was probably the last thing in her mind. Of course, everyone who tees it up wants to win. But would she have bet money on herself? I Probably not, okay, yeah. if, if she really needed the money. So she had this, hey, I almost gave up golf last year. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe this is the last tournament. And bingo, she fell into that space of innocence, of silence. And she ends up winning the tournament, changes her life. Wow. One of the things that you talked about today that I think has really helped a lot of the players, but I know that it was one of the things that impacted me when I went through your program two years ago, which was having 100% acceptance of the shot before you hit it. And I find that that's what happens when your expectations are so low for whatever reason, whether you're trained to know that that's no good or you had a terrible rain session when you got loose or you're not feeling good, you know, i.e. beware of the sick golfer, sick athlete, because your expectation levels go down and you almost go into a place of, I don't have enough energy to think. I just have to conserve my energy to get through these 18 holes because I'm not feeling well or I don't feel good about myself. When I went when I went through that because I grew up in an atmosphere that if first of all failure wasn't a good option. Okay? And you obviously didn't try hard enough. You obviously didn't prepare hard enough. What's your problem? Yes. yes. Why aren't you thinking? Typical. So I doubled down on try hard. I doubled down on think harder. I doubled down on try harder, and it made it worse. Yes. I'd lose my mind. Yes. And then, with no hope whatsoever, Yes. I'd walk out there, and I'd shoot 65, and I'd get the... What's wrong with you? What, why can't you do that all the time? And then I'd do it. Well, I, what did I do today? Write it down and then try to redo that again. And then you clearly define why that's not possible because you can never own it. And that is like the double-edged whammy, which is if you have total acceptance of the outcome before you hit the shot, well then... You're in a pretty good spot to swing freely, but that doesn't sound like you're very prepared. You know, it's a paradox, okay? <laughs> it's a big paradox because you got the juxtaposition of two opposite feelings that one seems to be right and the other one seems to be wrong, but it's reversed. The one that you think is right is wrong. And the one that you think is wrong is right. Now, let me ask you this question, okay? You're a very talented golfer. You still are. What would have happened if at 14 years old you went through this program? 
well, kind of hurts to think about, you know, in some ways, because I still have, I mean, I've coached a lot of guys that have played on TV, either some or a lot of time. I've coached a lot of great college players, and I'm currently coaching an outrageously talented group of high school kids. And I still don't know that I've run into somebody that makes me feel like I don't belong with talent. Mm. And to know that my mindset at the critical points of my youth Mm. were exactly opposite of what was required to be great. And keep in mind that I've moved past this point of anger to the point of forgiveness because I know the people that tried to help me gave me everything that they had. They just didn't know. It wasn't easy for me to accept when I found out that they didn't actually know. Hmm. But I've moved past that because I've also experienced me doing my best with what I had and later finding out that my best wasn't correct, although it was my best. Right. So I've moved past that place. But I would say that Part of me knows how good I could have been, but I've moved past that concern because I know why I was put on this earth. I was put on this earth to have enough talent to see what it takes and have one ingredient not there, spend my entire life trying to figure it out so that I can help a bunch of other kids not have to suffer what I had to suffer through. Yeah, I feel your pain, Virgil. I feel your pain. I think, um, I think, unfortunately, it's the rule and not exception to the rule that the majority of um, professional athletes in every sport do not reach their potential. Very, very few reach their potential. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons, I can't say it's the only reason, but one of the main reasons is they don't really know what they have to do out there to have a peak performance zone experience. They are completely clueless. They are prisoners of their motion. 100%. And, you know, we've talked about this extensively, that there comes a point in time in the development of a player in any sport where they need to close the book on their motion. It's good enough. It's good enough. But what happens is that they live in this prison of thinking... I'll get better if my motion can just get a little better. And how many careers have been destroyed? Too many. That we think in golf right off, you know, right off the bat. Too many. Way too many. So these kids who I had the extreme honor and pleasure to work with today, they are so fortunate that they have you as their coach. I feel very fortunate that you gave me the opportunity to work with them because once someone experiences this, there's no turning back. Well, I shouldn't say that. The chances of turning back um, and, and going in reverse and going back to that mindset, you can lead the horse to water. You can't make them drink. At least you gave them the opportunity. Okay, this is the path you have to go down. Mm-hmm. You've worked on your swing. You've worked on your short game. You've worked on your putting. You worked on this and this and this. Everything looks really good. Now we're going to work on accessing what you already own. Close the book on the swing. Now let me ask this question. Honestly, 
how many kids, what percentage of the kids that you think, before they heard me today, were really in swing prison? Where they were just trying to reinvent the swing, even if they're shooting low scores, trying to reinvent the swing. If not all, all but two. Well, you know, you got 21 players, so we're talking about a hefty amount. Yeah, over 90%. Over 90%. And I think one of the um, real eye-opening themes and experiences they had today was and concepts is once the money is in the bank, it ain't going anywhere, baby. Yep. The money is in the bank. It's so empowering that they have worked hard enough to put the money in the bank. And they don't have to live in this, I have to reinvent the swing on every shot, swing prison, checklist city. I, I guarantee you, these kids, they walk off the course, you have no idea how exhausted they are. Oh, They're kids, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you do know, okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe you could see their body language. But it's like they just came back from Iraq or uh, Afghanistan, and they're supposed to be doing something they enjoy doing. Do you think there's something wrong with that picture? Oh, big time. It's, it was like to me, what I saw today and what I saw when I did the, the clinic with you two years ago was a softening of the body, which created a softening of the motion. And most of them, I believe, were fearful prior to understanding what you were showing them that they that wasn't trying hard enough. That's not doing what I was what I've been told to do when I hit a bad shot I've been told that I've made an incorrect golf swing and you make a very good point when you're in the right place the cerebellum allows you to self-correct mm-hmm. in the in the right place I can think of so many times I've been very fortunate it's hard for me to be overly critical of myself because I've actually had a very good playing career not so much that I played on TV but I've, I've won 14 times in you know, events with professional golfers, whether they're section events or just like what some of my friends call the baked bean and fried chicken tour, you know, just, you know, events that, you know, 40 guys show up and whatever. I've really had some fun times uh, as a player, but when I'm watching these kids and I know how many lessons either I've taught them or other great coaches have taught them, Mm. they get the idea and it's easy to see how they get the idea that the answer is in the technique, mm. not in the process of accessing what they already know. Right. And I believe that the biggest difference in performance is to be able to take your practice hat off. Practice hat can be take the club a little more outside, get the club a little more square at the top, slot the golf club to the inside, get some good rotation, work on your impact condition, and follow through. All of that stuff is great practice because that builds myelin. That builds the muscle memory. Right, right. But you have to be able to take that hat off, put it up on the hat rack, and grab your playing hat if you're going to try to play. Well, you know, my opinion on that is the book should be closed much earlier than 
Um, and for some, the book is never closed. <laughs> yep. It's never closed. It is a, when will your swing be done? It'll never be done. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll constantly be working on it. Yeah. Very little chance. I mean, for some people who are super gifted, who are super pre-wired, athletically gifted, you know, a Faldo or a Tiger or, you know, Marco Mira made a successful swing change. But you can count him on one hand, literally. Mm-hmm. And then you can count on about, you know, five hands, probably more, all the ones that, um, even more than that, you know, were eternally working on their swing and never never reached their potential, yeah. you know? One of my biggest, you've heard me say it probably nine times in the last two days, and my big thing is is that what it took for these guys to get good enough to play on tour is not what it takes to stay on tour. What it took for them to get there is the the mechanical prowess to have emotion grooved well enough that you can hit it far enough to compete at this level. You have the high, high level of predictability of curve and yardage, like you know where it's going to go. Right. And you can not hope that it's good enough, nor believe that it's good enough, but you know that it's good enough. Right. Right. That's the big difference. You Very have important. to know. Right. It's a big difference between know and believe. And from there is how well do you access it and not let the moment interfere with the simple fact that you're hitting another shot that you've hit literally 25,000 times in your life. Exactly. Okay. Talk to us about how to get into that place of letting it go, knowing full well that the shot at 16 at the Masters on Sunday is way more important than the shot that the kid hit on the driving range today. You know, Virgil, it's a good question. There's no magic formula. I'm not a genie, okay, mm-hmm. and, and going to fulfill all your wishes and answer all your questions to the nth degree. But there's a few things that you can do and th- actually think about to move you in that direction. And they're, they're uh, neurophysiological concepts because this whole program, the Fluid Motion Factor Program, uh, my newest book, Simplicity, is all based on how the brain physiology produces fluid motion. Fluid motion. It's not have anything to do with sports psychology or anything like that. I have no background in that. And one of the main pillars of the program, and you mentioned this, is that once a motion is grooved, it, it, it's impossible for it to break down unless you have a physical injury. And, of course, the key word is grooved. This is not for a beginning or intermediate golfer. And once it's grooved, what breaks down is not the motion, but the ability to access it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a paradigm, game-shifting, tsunami kind of idea that should spin your head around 180 degrees. Because I didn't know this until a neurophysiologist told me this, but eventually I realized the ramifications that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reinvent the wheel on the driving range, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel on the back nine at Augusta on Sunday. So this should start to free you up. Just thinking of this Mm -hmm. starts to free you up. The second concept that you can think about to answer your question, okay, is that 
Because the processes in the brain are responsible for the motion, you have to ask yourself, well, what environment does the brain physiology like to operate from? Well, there's only one environment, and it's the same for everyone because everyone's brain physiology operates the same. And that the brain and that is the brain physiology needs to operate in a state of wholeness. Wholeness means the togetherness of all the parts of the swing or the shot. And most pl- most players I congratulate them tongue-in-cheek, are very successful in going the opposite direction right before they pull the trigger. Because right before they pull the trigger, they're thinking, oh, if I only get the club here, oh, don't hit it left. I mean, you know, on the first tee this afternoon, who was the player? I don't want to pull it. I don't want to pull it. What does he do? He pulls, pulls it right it. into the water. Who was that, Ellis? Was okay. Land- was, was it Landon or was it Ellis? I, I think it was Ellis. Yeah, I think it was Ellis. That was the only right. shot that I missed. I just turned around on it after yeah. the fact. And I asked him, I, I said, Ellis, what broke wholeness during the swing? Because something broke wholeness. And he said, I didn't want to pull it left, and that's exactly what I did. So understanding the environment, which it's it's very tragic that it's not understood, mm-hmm. okay? You know, I almost, uh, uh, it's like someone giving, compare it, uh, I almost compare it to like someone giving a golf lesson and they don't, they can't teach the grip and the setup, but they're giving a golf lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, can you give a golf lesson to a beginner if you don't understand the grip and the setup? No. Be challenging. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, they put their hands on the club. They can put their hands on any way they want. They can put their the ball anywhere they want. They can put their hands in relation to the ball anywhere they want. It would you would fail a lot more than you would succeed, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, if you don't understand where the motion comes from, the brain. Wait a minute. There is something a little bit missing from your resume. And it's not my understanding. It's not Stephen Yellen's understanding. It's your understanding kind of thing. Mm. So I feel like I'm forging new grounds, new territory, maybe shaking up the industry a little bit. But my goal is to have golfers, you know, more or less reach their potential in the game. Yeah. So um, for me, it was... One of the more memorable days I've had teaching, Mm -hmm. and I knew it was going to be like that before I came down here, so I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to work with your elite team. Well, well, one, thank you for for coming down. Um, And it was, you know, when you have this much talent and you want to see it fostered in the right direction, and to see the skepticism early... What are we doing? This isn't what I. What are we? I don't understand what's going. <laughs> to then watch them be literally blown away. Did you see that? Oh yeah, I saw it last night at the the private situation, and then today, the ones that saw it yesterday, they were waiting to see how long it took. Were they? Yeah, <laughs> because Ed Ed was like, he was blown away yesterday. First he was like, man, what is all this? And then it hit him. He's like, oh my god, this is it. This is it. Yeah. Now I get it. And it took me an hour and 40 minutes. 
now I want to see. So that we started at like 9.20. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, I want to see what it looks like at 11 o'clock. So at 10, 15, there were a lot of good players like, Nine? What, what's the nine have to do with anything? <laughs> and, and then Ed was like, just wait, just wait. And then, Did you hear the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Because they are all interested. Like, the guys are very locked in because they're very talented. They all are very driven to be individually as good as they can be. And together with the team, that makes it really – that's the thing that makes golf so unique is it's generally an individual sport that we're playing as a team. So – to see everybody mm. really try to drive the best out of themselves mm. while simultaneously knowing it'd be a good idea if everybody else got good too, but just not better than me. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's a very delicate dynamic. It is. Okay. To, uh, to see that, that was, that was beautiful. And like the thing that I, I've always, I'm always trying to expose you to people that don't understand is that although I'm, Virgil is widely recognized as one of the better swing coaches. I'm in love with the brain and how I, I, get, I get people uh-huh. to re- achieve the highest level of performance. And you have played a gigantic role in helping me be better at explaining it right. to a point until I feel like I have to turn it over to you. Hmm. And that's what I love about the game. I love about what what we have done today, but what we have done in the past. We've done a lot of great radio shows. Yeah. A lot of great time together yeah. where I received so much positive feedback really? about your what you did on radio. We, you couldn't see anybody swing. You couldn't see anybody do anything. And you impacted people's lives as much as anybody in my 19 years of radio. Wow. That, I, I'm, I'm humbled by that. I didn't know. Yeah. So literally, of all the, there's like three people that have come on my radio show that unfortunately is no longer going on. Um, that constantly raise the bar of listening performance, and and you were you were the one that got wow, the, the I'm, most. Wow, I'm in I'm in good company then. Yeah, so that was uh, that was really really cool. The final thing I wanted to get you to talk about today is to help people understand that trying harder. Thinking more and wanting more out of themselves while chasing mechanics is tragic. We've watched it. And I will preface this by saying maybe the greatest comeback ever for more than one reason is Tiger. We watched a guy change his swing three different times. Amazing. And became almost befuddling because he did it and he'd win. He'd change again. He'd win by even more. He'd change again. He'd win by even more. And then one change too many on top of some injuries. And then the injuries led to opioids, which also then led to maybe bad human decisions. And maybe, just maybe, he had, he had run full circle in technical prowess and realized that he actually had the gift a long time ago. And the resurgence and the regaining of his fluidity instead of his mechanical. I mean, the, the gyrations he used to go through while he was 
changing his motion at the deepest DNA level that I've ever seen somebody great do was a tragedy. I couldn't stand to watch it. It was so sad to watch somebody essentially take the greatest person, the greatest golfer that we've ever seen, and how the greatest person could look at somebody who was not even a very good college golfer, tell him that not only will you have to change your golf swing, you're going to have to change your short game because the, the, the motor techniques aren't going to work out if you're loading up on one side. So he took probably, if he wasn't the greatest short game player of all time, he would only be second to Seve in his ability to get up and down. And he was the greatest iron player. He probably still is the greatest iron player of all time. And, and the greatest golfer of all time said, you know what? I think you're right. I think I need to change it everything. Scrap it. And he literally fell off the face of the earth. And I deemed him done. We've talked about how many times we've deemed him done. I've, I definitely did. And he comes back and wins. So the last piece is how can people who have thought in the past or even right now that the answer is going to be in a swing change be not that? So it's knowledge. They don't have the knowledge. Correct. It's like you wouldn't take your car to a mechanic who doesn't understand the engine. You just wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So what's lacking in golf instruction and um, for golfers is a deeper understanding of that which produces the motion. This is the motherboard. Mm -hmm. You have to understand this. So the answer to your question is education. They need to understand how, and, and, I always, and I always tell people when they go through the program, I said, look, unless a coach or a player can answer this question, they're always going to be searching and they'll probably be in swing prison for the rest of their lives, all right? And the question is very simple. How is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? That's the only question I have ever asked myself for 45 years because mm -hmm. I want to go down to the nuts and the bolts, the fundamental level the fundamental dynamics and understand that because if you can take care of that, all the other layers will take care of themselves. So the answer is, again, is not my answer. It's nature's answer. It's neurophysiology. It's science. And, um, and you see what I did with the kids today. I said, okay, you got one word to describe how you felt when you played your best. Simple, easy, flowing, amazing. Well, guess what? That's, what? that's what the brain physiology likes. It doesn't like determination. It, 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 you, know, you know, maybe if you're, you know, uh, blitzing the quarterback or whatever, it doesn't like this over-focus. It doesn't like this over-concentration. What does it like? It likes silence. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is just the reality. It likes, another word for silence is wholeness. It has to experience in a state of it has to experience a state of wholeness. Another word for wholeness is abstraction. Now these are not typical words or concepts thrown out in the golfing industry. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor. You're not, you're not wrong at all. Okay. So the final frontier is not 3D imagery or alpha torque or a new version of TrackMan or whatever they're using, body tracker. The next, the next breakthrough is having a deeper understanding of how fluid motion is produced. It's not that difficult. You don't have to take a neurophysiology course. You can learn it in one paragraph, 
and then moving in the direction and staying in the direction so that you're not weakening the brain physiology. And what weakens the brain physiology is you're constantly working on something that's already done because muscle memory doesn't break down. 100%. How can my listeners get a hold of your book and get in contact with you to take their game to the next level? Well, the book, Simplicity, full title of the book is Simplicity, the Fluid Motion Factor Golf Program, is available on Amazon. Um, my website is fluidmotiongolf.com, fluidmotiongolf.com, one word. Um, if you're interested, the, the book will give you the program. I gave the whole program out. I didn't hold anything back. But there's nothing like working one-on-one or in a group session. You'll get that extra 15% that could make the difference in your game. So if you are so inclined... Uh, for that kind of instruction, in person, you can contact me on my website, and I do travel, and I have no problems traveling at all. Excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough for, one, taking the time to come on and do my podcast, but to be able to come here and help me continue to elevate this program in a place that most high school golf programs won't uh, won't understand. I'm... I'm I'm honored to have you here, so I can't thank you enough. It's such an an honor to have such a great friend come here, so I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you, Virgil. It's been my honor and pleasure as well. My pleasure. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.